If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go ahead and open them up with me to Luke 24. Luke 24. While you're getting there, I want to remind you of what we are doing on Sunday mornings in the series that we are currently walking through. The series is called Foundation. And what we are doing in this series is that we are looking at the gospel of Jesus, the gospel, the good news that saves us, that shapes our lives, and that sends us out. And throughout this series, and I hope you have recognized this in the first few weeks, I I hope you would be able to repeat it back to me when I ask the question I'm about to or, or get to the questions. But we have two primary questions that we are asking. We're asking them every single week, and we want to learn to ask them throughout our lives, okay? But the questions are this. The first one is a question of foundation. And it is who or what are we standing upon? Who or what are we building our lives upon? It's a question of foundation. The second one is directly connected to it. And it's a question of discipleship. And it is who or what are we following? And when we ask these questions, we want to unite with the Word of God and see that the one that we desire to stand upon and the one that we desire to follow come in the same person. It's in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so we want to be a church. We want to be individuals who stand upon Jesus Christ, stand upon the gospel of Jesus, his finished work, his kingdom that's come and his kingdom that is coming in full. We want to stand upon the values of Jesus, the heart and the mind and the love of Christ. And when we're talking about discipleship, we as a church, we want to follow Jesus. We want to follow after him. The reason why we're doing this study, though, and the reason why we need to learn to ask these questions, we've said it week after week, is that it is easier than we would like to think to stand on the wrong thing. It is easier than we wish to believe. It's a lot easier to follow the wrong person or thing. It is extremely easy for us to follow the ways and the values of this world. It's almost as simple as breathing. And yet, God's word and ultimately God's gospel gives us a better foundation and offers us Christ to follow. And so we want to look at this week after week. As this series moves forward, we want to begin to ask a follow-up question. Here's a new one. And it's, what is God up to in Christ? What's he doing? And how can I join him? What is he doing and how can I join him? I, I, yesterday was my off day. I, I try to spend Saturdays with my fam and, and, and devote you know, undivided time, if I can, to Catherine and to my kids and and, and so, I, you know, sometimes you got to work pretty hard to do that. But I wake up, it usually starts super early with Annie Ruth, and it usually goes pretty late into the night with Lucy, okay? And so that's just how off days go. But most of the day involves at least one of them walking right behind me, okay? So, like, you get up from the couch, and you start walking. It's like, where are you going, Daddy? <laughs> where are you going? Can we come? Can we follow? Can we go where you're going? I start, I start walking outside. Can I go with you? I'm going outside to work out. Can I work out, too? You know, it's like my kids, they're just asking, where are you going and can I follow you? Can I join you? 
And to connect with all the parents in the room, just know I, am, I do not see myself as a perfect parent. I will go ahead and tell you there are days when I should be just completely wrapping them up in my arms and going, what a precious sight to have my baby son following about this far behind me all day long. That will not always happen. I should be soaking it up, but I can go ahead and tell you there's some days when I go to the bathroom to shut the door just so I can hang out by myself for a minute, okay? So, like, we can do that as parents. Catherine, I know, certainly understands what that's like uh, with them every single day, and they're following their mama, too. Uh, but, but here's how this works. is God is never trying just to get behind a door to shut us down. He is always inviting us to follow Him, and it is with joy. Where are you going, Daddy? We want to follow you. That, that's what we're getting to today. So it's like kind of a new question. It's not different from the foundation or the discipleship question. It's just a furthering of the question. It's, we're going a little bit deeper. Where is he going? What's he up to in Christ? And how can I join him? <clears throat> the way that we're getting uh, into the word here is, is, is we, have a, we have four parts to this foundation study. And it's fairly, it's going to take a little bit to get through it, okay? The way that it works, it's in four parts. The first part is what we're in right now, and it's called the gospel story. So part one, we're looking at the gospel story. Part two, the gospel message. Part three, the gospel community. And then we're going to end with part four, the gospel mission. Right now in the gospel story, our desire is this, is for us to be, we're going 30,000 foot view. Remember that first day I said 30,000 square foot view. That made no sense at all to God or anybody else. But, but you worked with me and showed me grace. 30,000 foot view, we're wanting to look over the grand narrative of the Bible. So from Genesis to Revelation, we're wanting to see what is the story that we are being told in the Bible. And so if you have notes, I want you to go ahead and practice writing this out this week. And the next week we'll actually finish the gospel story. But I want you to write, get, get you a little line. It's a timeline here. And we're going to have at the very beginning of it, we've got creation. Right next to creation. We can't go very far. Okay, we've got Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 3. We've got part 2 of the story. It is the fall. Then we're going to go all the way from part 2, right there at the fall, all the way to the very end of the book right here. That's Revelation. And before we get to Revelation, we've got part 3 that we're calling Redemption in Jesus Christ. Part four, the bookend, new creation. Okay, Next week, we're going to be looking directly at new creation. This week, we're focusing in on redemption in Christ. And we're looking at the 30,000-foot view of redemption in Jesus and how the gospel story tells us about Christ. Okay, I think we have this on, our, on the slide today. But I want you to see that the gospel story, it has always been about what God has done, is doing, and will do through the finished work of Jesus Christ to reconcile, redeem, and restore what was broken and lost in the fall. Now that's a long sentence. I'm going to say it one more time. Okay, So keep in mind, the last two weeks we've really looked at creation and fall. Okay, we looked at the garden, then we looked last week at Babel. I hope that was helpful to you. And we even did a little five-minute run-through of Genesis 12 all the way through Revelation last week. Okay, so we, we had fun. I hope you had fun. I sure did. Okay, it was wonderful. But what we want to do this week is we want to focus in 
own Christ-redemptive work. And we're seeing that's what the gospel story's always been about. It's always been about what God has done, is doing, and will do through the finished work of His Son, Jesus Christ. And He's done this work for a purpose, and it's to reconcile, redeem, and restore what was broken in the fall. So before getting us into Luke 24... I want to read the intro of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Okay, this has been something I have referenced a whole bunch over the years. And really one of my favorite resources that I own. This is actually not even mine. This is Cindy's, but still. Uh, I own several of these and have some that, you know, the binding doesn't hold anything together anymore. That's how much we love to read it. This is from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Now, some people think that the Bible is a book of rules. Telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what He has done. Now I'm going to add to Sally Lloyd-Jones' work here. It's about what He has done, He is doing, and it will still do in Christ Jesus. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you will soon find out if you keep reading this book and if you study the Word, that most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and they run away. At times, they're downright mean. Now, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero, that's capital H, hero, by the way, who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story, the best thing about the Bible, it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves His children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. I love this. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. Love the Jesus story of the Bible. This story is what we want to engage in today. The story of redemption is the gospel of Jesus. Today we want to see how Jesus teaches us to engage with the Bible. We want to see how Jesus teaches about Jesus. And we're going to see that today in Luke 24. So look with me there, starting in verse 13, this really is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. If you know me well, I say that about almost every passage. But still, Luke 24, 
It is absolutely awesome. Verse 13, we're starting there. It says, the very day, or that very day, this is the day of the resurrection. That's a big day. The very day of the resurrection, two of them, that's two disciples, they were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about these things that had happened. Now, this is the things concerning Passover week. This is things concerning that the one that they had devoted their life to, Jesus Christ, had just been crucified. Okay? Verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Their eyes... Let me actually start back. But... Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And so we don't have to understand that today. You're not going to get it exactly. We just know they didn't recognize Jesus. Their eyes were kept from understanding who was walking with them. Verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? What are you guys talking about? What are you discussing? And they stood still looking sad. They're downcast in spirit. Then one of them, named Cleopas, seems to get a little snippy. Okay, now when, when I get in a standstill, when I get sad, when I'm sorrowful, sometimes I can get a little snippy as well. And so I don't know if that's the case with Cleopas, but it sure seems like it. And Cleopas says, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Do you seriously not get news updates on your smartphone? Like, do you not know... That it's COVID-19 right now. Okay, like, do you not know the obvious things? Well, you should. Okay, well, that's what I understand Cleopas to be saying. Verse 19, Jesus, in the best way possible, says, What things? Tell me about it. He's drawing them in. He's reeling them in. Okay, well, says, and they said to him, they calm down a little bit and say, Concerning Jesus... Of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. Verse 21 is so telling. They said, but we had hoped... That he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that redemption was going to be found in him. We thought the gospel story, the good news had come in him. And we thought it was the good news of our redemption. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Now, we won't go into great detail here, but what you need to understand is the gospel story that these disciples had in their head did not include the actual work that the Redeemer would do. 
They had a redemption story. They had a good news story. And it was about the Messiah who they believed was Jesus. But he had died on a cross, therefore it couldn't be him. Good news could no longer be connected to him any longer. They had put all of their eggs in the basket of this Messiah, Jesus Christ. They had left something. I don't know what they had sacrificed. I don't know what they had walked away from. But they had left it to follow Jesus and they were absolutely crushed because they found out it wasn't him. That's where these two disciples were. And regardless of what they had going on in their head about the women who said they had seen angels, and of course we know that Mary actually saw Jesus. But whatever they had in their head about that, it it just brought confusion. It just had some level, not really of hope. It was just more of a more confusing day to be piled upon their broken hearts. That's these two disciples. Well, it's there that I want us to go back to the story. Verse 25. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, they don't know it's Jesus, but he said, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. When we see all of the prophets here, this is a way of saying to us of what the scriptures have spoken. Keep in mind, there is no New Testament that is in copy during this time. And so whenever we see scriptures in the New Testament, it's referring to the Old Testament. And so when we see the prophets here, what he's saying is, O foolish one, slow of heart to believe all that the Old Testament has spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He's saying, oh, listen, you've missed the entire point of the Old Testament that you have devoted your life to. You've missed the entire point because you have had your hope set on a Messiah that would skip suffering. And what you must see is this, is that the entire Old Testament as a whole proclaims to us a Messiah that it was necessary that they would suffer these particular things to then enter into glory. Verse 27, this is absolutely amazing. If you don't underline this, something's wrong with you, okay? I don't know what it is, but you should underline this in your Bible. It says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is so awesome to me. Okay, and I try to imagine this scene. I have people ask me, you know, pretty often they say, okay, you know, I'm wanting to go through a Bible study at home. What should I go through? I want to say whatever Jesus taught on Emmaus. <laughs> whatever it is that he did that day, that's what we want. I have people say, what would be good for me to go through my small group with? Whatever he said on, in Luke 24, because my word, how awesome that must have been. Jesus preaching about Jesus. Jesus teaching And interpreting the entire Bible centered on the theme of him and his finished work on the cross. Keep in mind, it's been 400 and something years since there was anything written 
from the Old Testament scriptures at this point. And he's saying that not only were those 400 years ago written about me, but all the ones, all the way back to Genesis. Go to the book of Moses, and that's referring to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. It says what Moses wrote and recorded, and, and for the most part, we, we believe as a whole that Moses wrote the first five books. I mean, we believe there was some help in writing it at, at some point since he died in part of those first five books. But, but overall, the book of Moses, we're talking about, you know, not only creation and the fall and the story that we have from Genesis, and not only that we have the covenant to Abram, that the whole world is going to be blessed through one that comes through his family through his offspring. Starting right there, we just follow the offspring. We follow the son. And we just go straight through. We get to the end of Genesis and that family has grown to the size of a nation. God has done exactly what he said he would do with Abram. He's made them a great nation. He's made their name great. He's blessed those who bless them. He's cursed those who curse them. He's protecting this people. They become, of course, the nation of Israel. God frees them from slavery in Egypt into a land that was given to them where they could worship freely Yahweh, their God. We can walk through this story and we can see in the first five books, we see the law, we see the sacrificial system, we see the priesthood, and we begin to imagine Jesus Christ just walking through this with these two disciples. Uh, let me tell you about Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one that would bless the whole world through Abraham. He's the one, he's the offspring, he's the one that Abraham's covenant pointed us to. Oh, he is actually the Passover lamb. Oh, he is leading the greater exodus. The one not, after, uh, not from slavery in Egypt, but slavery of sin. Oh, he is actually the sacrifice. He also is the priest that offers himself up. He is the temple. You heard about David? He's the one that David pointed to. He's the one that would rule forever and will rule forever. He's the suffering servant from Isaiah. He's the righteous branch. And you can just see Jesus just going through this whole Bible study from Moses uh, all the way to Malachi. We see in Luke 24, we just move over a little bit. We've got some hours or some time later, he's talking with his disciples and possibly a few others. In verse 44 of chapter 24, he says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. This is the way that Jesus teaches. 
This is resurrected Christ in his small group Bible studies. And Jesus teaches about Jesus. Because the Bible is about Jesus. Every story whispers his name. We're told that Jesus sits down with these two disciples in Luke 24. He shares a meal. He breaks the bread. And as he breaks the bread, their eyes are opened. And they say, did not our hearts burn when he taught us on the road? Did not our hearts burn? Man, that's, that's my heart for us today. That our hearts would burn as we see Jesus Christ lifted up according to the way he teaches the scriptures about himself. Can you imagine that, that study? This is not the only time that Jesus teaches like this. I want to remind you of this. I actually heard my friend Justin Carl preaching this text uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was like, wow. John chapter 5. You don't have to turn there, but I'll, I'll read it for you. Verse 39. Jesus says, listen, you search the scriptures. And keep in mind, when we say the scriptures, that doesn't mean the book of John. That's what we think of. Okay, doesn't mean the book of John. The book of John wasn't there yet. Jesus is talking, and it's becoming the book of John. Okay, when he says the scriptures, he's referring to the Old Testament. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, it is the Old Testament scriptures that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus is saying, this is what it's always been about. It's been about me. The gospel story is about what God has done, is doing, and will do through the finished work of His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem, to reconcile, and to restore this broken and fallen creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Oh, this is good. You ready? <clears throat> Verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silas and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Do you got a highlighter? Because if you do, highlight it. If you got a pen, underline it, circle it, give an exclamation point, give a wow in the margins, do something there. It's always yes in Him. For all of the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The whole of the Old Testament with a unified voice witnesses to the finished work of 
Jesus Christ. Mama, that is good, isn't it? Okay, several takeaways, and then we will close out for the day. Now, these are, these are Colby takeaways here. These are applications. We're going to walk away from this study. The first thing is that my heart for you and, my, and, and also the heart for myself is that we fall in love, that our hearts would burn for the Word of God. That we would fall in love with the Word of God. And when I say that, listen, I mean 39 books in the old. I mean 27 books in the new. I I mean we fall in love with the written Word of God. But as much as I mean that, I mean something deeper. I mean that we fall in love with the Word of God. We want to fall in love with the Word of God as the Word of God is in love with the Word of God. Does that make sense? That's a lot of Word of God saying it. In. There we go. Okay, we've got the living Word teaching us about the written Word. We want to fall in love with Jesus Christ, the living Word. My encouragement to you would get you a copy. First of all, just read your Bible. First of all, read your Bible. Devote yourself to reading the Bible. But as you read the Bible, seek to interpret it like Jesus teaches us to interpret it. By looking for Him. By seeing and expecting to find every story whispering His name. Listen, a helpful tool. I'm te- I don't care how old you are. Get a Jesus storybook Bible. It's been one of the most wonderful tools that I have owned in my Christian life. I don't know if there's a tool outside of the Word of God. I know this is walking us through the stories of the Word of God. I don't know if there's a a, a tool or anything that's helped my heart to burn more for Jesus Christ than this. Get a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible and just devour it. Enjoy it. When you come to the Word and we read it as Jesus teaches us to read it, it's like a steak dinner. Every time. If you're not a meat eater, it's like roasted zucchini and okra. In the best possible way. I want to call it a steak dinner, okay? Just work with me. Don't be offended by that, okay? It's a steak dinner. It's so good. It's so good. We used to, we have questions, you know, or I say we, I'm, I'm just one person. But I have questions that I like to ask people. And so these are like my road trip questions, my get-to-know-you questions. And, and some of you are going to be like, he does ask me these things when I'm around him. So, yeah, I'm still getting to know you, okay? It doesn't matter how long I've known you. Uh, questions like, you know, what you watching? You know, what, what kind of show you got going on at home? What are you reading? Got any books? Whatever. But sometimes when we get in the best of conversations, it turns to something like this. You got two books of the Bible. That's all you can have. Which two do you get? <laughs> you got two books of the Bible written to take with you and proclaim it to the world. Which two books do you get? And the more that I just read the Bible and interpret it like Jesus teaches me to interpret it, I have more fun with this, with this question. Do I take Genesis? And, and I've got, you know, the, the Abrahamic covenant. I've got all these stories. Do I take that and combine it with Romans? That talks about the faith of Abraham that connects me to the book of Genesis? 
Or do I go with something like Exodus and we see the Passover? Do I connect that with like John or one of the Gospels? Do I go like Matthew and Isaiah where I've got like the book of Matthew just over and over again quoting from Isaiah? What are the two books that I pick? And the, the beauty of this question is that we don't have to pick. You get all 66. Learn to interpret them. How Jesus teaches us to interpret them. And eat it like a steak dinner. Absolutely wonderful. Fall in love with the Word of God. Okay. Number two. That was, that was point one. Application one. Application two. This is about seeing. Okay. I want you to see the entire Bible. Like come to grips with it. Like believe it. That the entire Bible points us to Christ, our Redeemer, our Reconciler, and our Restorer. That we understand mentally, like our brain teaches us when we study the Bible, that all that was lost and broken in the fall, Christ has the authoritative power to redeem, to reconcile, and to restore. Now, we're not going to go into great detail about that. We will expound on that as we go. But it's beginning to understand that's what the Bible is teaching us. That when we read it, that what Christ has done, His finished work on the cross, comes with authoritative power in Christ to redeem, reconcile, and restore. Not just some things, but all things. The power to reconcile us to God. And you'll see where we're going. We're going to connect back to our last two weeks. The power and the authority to reconcile us to who we are in Christ Jesus. To reconcile us to each other. And to restore the relationship that God has created us to have with the rest of creation. We see this in Colossians 1. We read this earlier. That Jesus Christ, He's come to reconcile all things together. In his finished work. Ephesians 1 uses the phrase to unite all things together. 2 Corinthians 5, a proclamation of Christ, the one who reconciles us to God. When we see this and we believe it and we begin to understand that Christ has not only done a work, he is doing a work, he will finally do a work. We begin to be able to say, what's he doing? How can I join him? When we begin to see that he has the authoritative power and the will to redeem, reconcile, and restore what has been broken in the fall. That's point two. Three is directly connected to that one, but we're going to move past just seeing. We're going to move to experiencing. Number three, I desire for you and for me to have our hearts burn within us as we see Christ throughout the Old Testament and we understand God's plan of redemption for His beautiful but broken world. It's not that we're seeing it theologically because that's a place we got to get. We want to see it theologically. We also want to experience it in our lives where we are living in this authoritative power. Not only has He reconciled me to God, He is reconciling me too consistently to my brothers and sisters and to others. He is reconciling me as I live to who I am in Christ, and He is reconciling me 
to the rest of creation. Now right now, it's like in a mirror dimly, but one day it'll be face to face. Right now it's in part, but one day it'll be in full. Next week we get to look at the full. Get ready for next week, okay? We're going to look at it. But I want you not only to see, but also to experience. We're, we're almost done. I've got to read this to you, though. I've, I've loved reading this for quite some time. This was uh, a professor. This is Edmund Clowney on the work that he did in interpreting the Scriptures and seeing Christ from Genesis to Revelation. I want you not only to see it, but it start building anticipation in your heart. This is his words. I think I've read it before and didn't give him cred. So you thought it was me, it wasn't me. Okay, it was him the whole time. Okay, here we go. He is the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. He is the ark to rescue the people of God. He's the holy angel of Yahweh. He's the seed of Abraham in whom all the families of the earth will be blessed. He is the Passover lamb. He is the prophet greater than Moses. He is the pillar of fire in the wilderness. He is the rock struck by Moses. He is the heir to the Davidic throne. He is the thrice holy Lord of Isaiah 6. He is the greater shepherd of Ezekiel 34. He is Mary's baby. Herod's enemy and Simeon's joy. He is the 12-year-old boy in the temple and the beloved son to be baptized. He is the healer of the blind, the provider for the hungry, the friend of the outcast. He is the new temple, the source of living water, the manna that gives life, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life, the Father's true vine. He's the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and the resurrected lion from the tribe of Judah. He's the ascended Lord, the ruler of the church, and the returning judge of all men. The sacred scriptures are the instrument by which the Spirit of the living God glorifies Jesus Christ. I don't want you just to see it. I want you to experience for your heart to burn within you. Fourthly, last application, engagement. Not just see it, not just experience but to engage in the work of Jesus Christ. As we begin to see more clearly God's purpose of redemption, reconciliation, and restoration for His beautiful yet broken creation, we will begin to recognize our own purpose in this beautiful yet broken world. We will say, God, what are you up to in your Son? I want to join in. Listen, today, as we respond, and we're going to sing a song of invitation and response, as we do, I'm going to ask a couple of questions. One is this. You may be sitting here and you may say, how can I know Jesus? We've been lifting up Christ. I don't know him. I want to know him. I want to not just be shaved and sent out. I want to be saved. If that's you today, I want you to know Christ is at work. He's here. He saves. He will save you. I'll hang around down here at the front. I, we've got social distancing that we're going to worry about, but I'll put on a mask, okay, whatever we need to do. I'll, come, I'll talk to you down front. If you say, I don't want to come down front, well, then I'll, I'll talk to you in the lobby afterwards. I'll hang out in the lobby afterwards. We can talk about Christ and how you can know Him. If you want to direct message us, you can. If you want to call the office, please do. How can I know Christ? 
come to him today. Secondly, if you say, look, help me. Help me in my reading and my study of the Scriptures. I want to interpret the Bible as Christ interprets the Bible. If, that, if that's you, same thing. Listen, I'll, I'll be hanging out in the lobby for a little bit. I'd love to talk to you. love to give you tools. love to give you help there. Lastly, let's just celebrate Jesus. As we sing, let's celebrate Christ. Let's celebrate that He's here, that He's alive, and He's at work. Let's begin to ask, what you doing? Help us see. I want to join you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word today. I pray you'd use it, Lord, to encourage our hearts. But I I pray more than us just feeling encouraged today. God, I ask that we would experience your nearness to us and that we would engage with your work and in your kingdom purposes for your people. Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for who he is, what he's done, and who we are in him. All glory to Christ. Lord, move and work in this place today as we sing to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.